Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 98 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is December 30th, 2009, our last podcast of the 2009 year, and we're going to talk all about the Emerald Bowl this week on the podcast. Of course, USC's big win over Boston College up in the Bay Area. We're going to talk about recruiting as well with USCfootball.com recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. There's a lot of recruiting questions came in, so we're going to answer all of those. And if you have any questions or comments for us, always drop us an email at podcast at uscfootball.com. But our first segment, we'd love to talk to the Coach Harvey Hyde. Coach, what's going on? Well, buddy, first thing I want to tell everybody is Happy New Year. It's Wednesday. It's rainy in Pasadena, but it won't rain on New Year's Day. How's that for prediction? Uh, that's at least what the weatherman's saying. So, oh, we have a 50-50 chance. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, it's great to be with you, Ryan. It's great to see the Trojans finish their season with a win. No matter what type of win it is, it's a win, and it's time now to think about the 2010 football season. And we will definitely get into that, but we're going to talk about the Emerald Bowl first with you, Coach, and we have a question from one of our listeners that wants to ask you something, so we'll, we'll get to that. But first, if you do want to go to the aforementioned Rose Bowl, give sctickets.com a try. Southern California Tickets, they sponsor our first segment of the podcast each and every week, 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for concerts, a theater, or, of course, the Rose Bowl or even the National Championship game. You can give them a call. Coach Harvey Hyde uses them. He'll be down there for those games. And if you live in the area or you're flying into Southern California and you want to check out the game, definitely try sctickets.com. I'll tell you, they better hurry. These, these are hot tickets this year. The Oregon game uh, with Ohio State, are, man, what a hot ticket. And also the BCS Championship game, a hot ticket. So there's going to be a jumping week here, and then next week the BCS championship game for people who love college football. So if you have a chance to go to a national championship game, call Southern California Ticket Service, and don't miss it because you don't get to see it that often. Certainly, Coach. It's kind of unique this year with two of those big games being in L.A. and all the games in San Diego as well. So there's some good bowl Full action going on here in the Southland in Southern California. It's good stuff. But uh, USC played in Northern California in the Emerald Bowl. It's kind of a weird situation, of course. Seven BCS games uh, in a row. This will be the first time I have kind of a New Year's Eve free, I think, coaching in quite a while. So that'll be kind of fun. But what you know, you got to see that game. What did you think of uh, USC's efforts up there in the Bay Area? Well, you know, I, I thought that. Uh... They did exactly what I thought they would do. They should win that football game. They did win that football game, and uh, they covered. So uh, they did exactly what everybody thought they should do. Yeah, that's rare. So, they haven't covered a lot this year. <laughs> that's right. So uh, for, for people who had uh, given up or for people who took the points, uh, you lost. <laughs> so uh, all I can say is, you know, you've got to be able to be positive. You've got to move on. Uh, I thought the Trojans – uh, did what they had to do to win that football game. Uh, Boston College was a strong uh, defense against the rush, but they were one of the weakest against the pass. 
And I think that uh, Matt Barkley had one of his, uh, I think, best halves as far as throwing the football around. Yet it was a very close football game. I'd like to see them be able to run the football a little bit better than what they did. And, you know, when they when they stopped uh, Harris, their running back, that was Boston College's offense. And I'm not trying to take anything away from the the Boston College quarterback, but he probably had his best day. But he's not that of a talent of what the Trojans have faced. I mean, as far as a quarterback like the ones that they've had to play in the Pac-10 and who they played against as far as Clawson uh, at Notre Dame and Terrell Pryor at Ohio State. So I think that was the big difference in the game as far as their ability to throw the football against the Trojans. And uh, But they got to win, and you got to look at it positively, and uh, you've got to move on. And uh, and you've got to look to the future. And I think that's the number one thing that SC has to do. You know, uh, a lot of people talk about using a bowl win to take get some momentum going into the offseason. And just for the fans that don't know, I mean, the next thing will come up. They'll do some winter workouts. Players will kind of work out on their own uh, in January and February and stuff. And then, you know, once they get back into school, then they'll have their spring you know, football start up in March. And after spring football, that's the official practices with the team. They'll have summer workouts where they practice players only, and then obviously that leads into fall camp in August. So there's a lot of activity going on in the off season. Do people overestimate how important it is for to get a bowl win because of all that downtime, or is it really that important that it's something you can think of positively when you're out there practicing with the team and your players? No, I think it's very positive uh, when you win because you're, you're in an upbeat. Uh, your seniors get to go out as a winner. Uh, you come back to campus and kids uh, get a bowl ring that they have They have the pride in wearing, and uh, it sort of rolls into the next season. And uh, yet again, look at uh, Alabama. They lost last year to Utah in the Sugar Bowl, yet they came back this year and had an undefeated season. So, you know, I'm not saying that because you won a bowl game you're going to have a great year the next year. You can use it as a reversal, too, if you happen to lose. So, uh, but I think it's a positive thing to always win, no matter what it is, uh, preseason game, conference game, uh, bowl game. It's always a positive thing to win. And, you know, you have to get used to not wanting to lose. And I think that when you lose after, if you lose too many games, you get used to losing. And you don't really have to, you don't believe in yourself as much. So I really think that you, you're going to a game knowing you're going to win. I used to tell my teams, hey, guys, don't screw it up. I've already invited my guests over and ordered the pizza for the post-game party. <laughs> I used to tell them that because you've got to believe that. You've got to believe, hey, let's go out there and play this hour of football so we can all go out and have a good time. And uh, not get in trouble, but go out and have a good time and, and sort of uh, be proud of what we did today and overcome whatever we have to overcome, like some of the controversy that's been going on in, in uh, Southern California with the media, which, uh, you know, I don't want to deal with that unless you want to deal with that. But, you know, we can move on and take the win. And, hey, listen, a nine, what is it, 9-4 and four season? How many teams in the country would love to finish with a bold victory and be 9-4? and four? Now, no one want to lose four football games, especially USC. But it happened. You got to move on. You got to say, if it was a rebuilding year and you won nine football games, so be it. That's pretty good. 
Yeah, I agree with you, Coach. And uh, one, of the, one of the weird things we talked, you know, there was some controversy going in. And to me, it was impressive that USC kind of rose above that and didn't let the Joe McKnight stuff or that uh, Anthony McCoy stuff or any of that get them down. And, uh, but there was a weird thing that happened at the end of the game. I got a call soon afterwards, and Dan Weike, our beat writer, uh, he'll be on the show later on. He said, Everson Griffin on the field, like as the team was starting to celebrate, made his announcement that he was going to the NFL. And, uh, it was, you know, obviously the timing's kind of weird. You don't want to, like, take away from the ball win. But that seems like kind of what it did a little bit. A lot of people on our message boards were talking about that. And he ended up not even playing much of the game. You know, got hurt early in the game and didn't didn't get to play. And then comes out, you know, even though he wasn't a big contributor in the game, makes this kind of announcement at the end of the guys, at the end of the game to some of the beat writers. What, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, we're, you know, Everson Griffin, a lot of upside Played well at times, not well at other times. What, what did you think about that when you found out that he announced he was going pro? Well, you know, you got to look at it one of two ways. First of all, you don't want to lose a great player. But if you have a great player that didn't want to be there, so be it. I'd buy him a ticket. And I'd say if you don't want to graduate from college and you're that sure you want to leave this early, then there's some problems there. So, you know, you don't, you don't want to get rid of great players, but you want players to be at your university. You want players to line up and sell out for you. Uh, you know, I always expected Emerson to have a better career than what he did. I'm sorry he didn't for himself and for the university. And obviously there's some frustration there with him to make that type of announcement that early. But if he does, that certainly does clear up uh, the defensive end position or whatever as far as what's there. USC certainly is strong at that position. There's no question about it. And I think that there's always times that some players need to move on. There's sometimes coaches need to move on. There's sometimes everyone needs to move on. And sometimes in the situation like Emerson or other players, if they don't want to be there, they shouldn't be there. And I think that if you, you get upset at it, that don't be upset. Turn it into a positive and shake hands and leave with a good feeling and say if there's anybody else who feels like that, then move on. And then sometimes it's really positive for the team. Makes sense, Coach. All right. Well, we do have a question. It's kind of a series of questions, but we're going to get first part of it to you. Uh, Robert, our friend from Honduras who listens to the podcast every week, and uh, you know he was happy with the 9-4 and four season, but obviously it wasn't uh, you know what a lot of people expected going in and, and what USC has come to expect over the last seven or eight years. Um, so he wanted to know something, you know, trying to keep it positive, but wanted to know one thing that you would change. So for you, Coach, he wanted to know, one thing about the USC coaching that you would change, it doesn't have to be change out a coach, but it could be something like coaching related scheme, philosophy, how players are used, something like that. He just want to kind of get your thoughts. If there was one thing that you would change at this point, what would that be? Well, you know, first of all, I want to answer uh, Robert by saying thank you for uh, listening to us in Honduras, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've hey, got, a, a, we've got a, a bunch of international questions. It's cool. I'm gonna tell you that's a that's a that's a champion there. I'll tell you, <laughs> uh, following us in. Uh, then I also want to say I'm anxiously looking forward to see what changes are made myself. Before I comment on myself, I'm sort of as all football fans are looking at the program and saying, uh, what what will change at USC? Should it change at USC? What will Pete Carroll's uh, uh, desires be? as far as uh, on offense and defense or schemes or personnel uh, and all of that. And, of course, uh, with uh, Damian Williams, uh, there's no question in my mind he'll be going out. 
I think Stephon Johnson will be leaving. I think that uh, Joe McKnight will be leaving because of all the, the surrounding controversy with him. I think he's better probably to move on and, and get, a, get out of the element because he'll never be happy with the media or be unhappy with the situation that happened with him. So I'm, I'm waiting to see exactly what might happen with that. And then also uh, when you look at the overall program, you say, how can we get better? What do we need to do to get better? I mean, I know Pete Carroll is sitting back, and he's got a lot of people that uh, he respects enough that he talks to to say, what do you think? The coaches always have people they talk to who they respect, people in the world of, of coaching, retired coaches, uh, friends that have watched them play, uh, whatever it might be, what, what do you think is going on, the athletic director, uh, with our football program. But you have to evaluate it every year. So I think he will evaluate his football program and say, what happened? Uh, maybe we need bigger linebackers. Maybe our linebackers didn't per, uh, per, uh, perform as what we expected. Uh, what are we going to do to improve that? How are we going to improve our secondary? Here we had uh, great secondary returning, yet we didn't have great secondary play with not many turnovers or interceptions. How can we correct that? Uh, how can we penetrate more and, and rush the passer without blitzing and so on with our defensive line? How can we own the line of scrimmage better? How can we get off the football and block people and run down the field and not always have to worry about passing the football? How can we correct our third-down conversion downs that we were very poor at this year, something like 34% before we went into the Emerald Bowl? How can we worry, work on our back rotations or how can we implement – our receivers, receivers better into the passing game as far as with different routes and schemes against certain coverages and so on. So you have to look at your whole program. You have to look at your kicking game. You have to look at your field goal situation where you can't kick a field goal out past 40 yards. I mean, those things have got to be all evaluated because if you're going to play for a national championship, you can't have a weakness. And at USC, you play for the Pac-10 championship and you play – for a national championship game. Anything less than that is probably almost, I hate to use this term, unacceptable. As far as to the fans, to the football team, to the coaches, to the university. Why? Because that's what people at USC thrive on. And that's why there's 92,000 people who are in the Coliseum. They have built their program that that is what people expect. So coaches have to look, or look at all of that. And there's one coach that looks at that, and that's Pete Carroll. And he's got to make some strong decisions on exactly what he needs to do and what he needs to – they're not easy decisions. Let me put it to you that way. They're not easy decisions on if you make coaching changes or if you change certain uh, philosophies. They're not easy. They're very difficult to do. And uh, I think next year uh, is a schedule that the Trojans can handle. Yet there will be teams in the conference that are better than what they were this year. Notre Dame will be better than what they were this year. Washington will be better than what they were this year. Oregon and Oregon State has everybody back. Washington State has got to be better. UCLA, with their win over their bowl game uh, last night, they're going to be better. They're having a good recruiting year. Arizona certainly distinguished themselves of who they are. So even if you get better as a Trojan, your football team, other teams are better. So you, to close the gap, you've got to do a lot of things. Because those people aren't just going to sit around and do nothing. Those people are going to continue to grow and recruit and look at their program the same way and say, what can we do to get better? 
So uh, to do that, you've got to, first of all, for me to say what one thing USC would have to do is I think they would have to uh, be able to get stronger on defense uh, where they get back to championship style of play. On offense, they would have to be able to run the football more, and I think they'd also have to adjust to uh, using Matt Barkley in a situation and give him more of an opportunity to tax secondaries with routes that go against the coverages and uh, utilize the great skilled athletes that they have at these positions. And uh, you've got to run the football. And If you can't run the football, you can't win. I really believe that, big time-wise. You've got to run the football. Uh, even when you look at teams like Oregon, they throw the ball all over the field, but they run the football with James and Bont, these players. They run the football. You've got to be able to run the football. So uh, I believe that And uh, when they had Lundell White and Richie Bush and these guys, they ran the football. Yes, they had Carson Palmer throwing the ball to Jarrett and Williams and all these people and Smith, but they ran the football. So I think that's the things I would look at. All right, Coach, thanks very much. Thank you, Robert, for that question. And uh, we'll let you go, Coach, and celebrate the new year. I know you've got a lot of stuff going on up there in Pasadena, but thanks very much for your time, and we'll talk to you next week. And thank you, Ryan. Happy New Year to everyone out there. And don't forget Southern California Ticket Service. SCTickets.com. Thank you, Coach. Happy New Year to you. Everyone else, back in 30 seconds, we're going to talk some recruiting with Gerard Martinez. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We are going to talk some recruiting with USCfootball.com recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Gerard, how are you today? What's going on? Uh, nothing much. Just um, trying to work off some of those uh, Christmas pounds of pecan pie and chips and dip and all that other crazy stuff you get in the spread for Christmas. Trying to make my New Year's resolutions. Yeah, I uh, I got fed the uh, Southern way when I was in Nashville, Tennessee, and then went to my parents' house and ate lots of cookies and a little, uh, few too many pounds I think put over the holidays. Now it's time to get back into shape, start working out, and then we'll get the we're getting the heat of recruiting. So lots going on. Yeah, I, and you're probably to blame also because of those chocolate covered pretzels that you send everybody right before Christmas, which are a hit. With my family, those things went in about two days. That little pail of chocolate-covered pretzels, which are like my nemesis. Yeah, they're uh, Saris's candies. Are when I grew up in Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania area, that was kind of our little local candy store, and I order them every Christmas. That's a pound pail of chocolate-covered pretzels, and they are my absolute favorite. I love those things. <laughs> Everybody loves yeah. those things. I love those <laughs> things. I, I I love them and I hate them equally. Yes. Uh, well, that was the least of my worries because I ate too many, too many other things too. But and uh, you, there's a lot of gravy. <laughs> when you go to the South, gravy is almost everything. So for breakfast, biscuits and gravy. So I'm going to be paying for that for about a month. But uh, we had a good time. Hopefully everyone had a good holidays and we're going to get back 
New Year's almost here, but we're going to talk some uh, USC recruiting, and we talked some of uh, the Emerald Bowl in the last segment with Harvey Hyde. We'll talk some more with uh, Dan Weike in the next segment. But first up, we got some questions for Gerard, and if you have any questions, it's podcast at uscfootball.com. That is our email address. Uh, Perry had a couple questions for you, Gerard. First up, he wanted to uh, get your thoughts on recruiting rankings and just kind of a, an overall feel where you think USC is going to end up in the top five, top 10, something like that. Right now, I think USC is at number 10, uh, kind of typical. They have more five stars than anybody. They have the highest star rating of anybody. They actually average a four star per recruit, but not as many commits as some of the other schools. I think uh, they're at 14 where top schools have, you know, Texas, Alabama, Florida all have above 20. I mean, what, what's your overall thoughts on where USC is going to finish uh, in this recruiting Par for record? the course. <laughs> like you said, par for the course for USC at this point. I mean, they've got their 14 commits, which is, you know, six, seven off of for most of the teams are, you know, in the top 10 uh, with recruiting. They're, they're hovering at that 10 spot and they still have a lot of their top targets out there uncommitted. So uh, you could see them, I mean, depending on how it goes with some of those five-star guys, they're going to climb up there pretty quickly. I think with the guys that they have right now in their sites and guys that they have officially visiting here in January, um, I think it's definitely conceivable they're going to have a top ten. They're finished top ten, and they'll probably have a top five class. Will they be able to get there at the very top? You know, there was a mandate put in by the NCAA that you can't have more than, I think it's 28 or something, uh, commitments, and you can't actually sign and then place guys like they'd been doing um, previous years. You had a lot of schools in the SEC that were signing, you know, 33, 35 different players, knowing that a lot of those players weren't going to qualify. And they basically sign them, and then they have them go to JUCO, and then they place them in a JUCO, and then they come back in, you know, later if they're able to make it academically. Um, the NCAA kind of stepped in and said, you can't do that anymore. You can't have such and such number of commits in a class, regardless of who's going to make it and who's not going to make it. So uh, right now, I mean, you've got Oklahoma at number four with 27 commitments and they have no five stars it's 14 four stars it's 13 three stars it's a big class it's probably going to top out their class right now I, I can't imagine them getting uh many more guys i know they're still after uh, the fort worth um uh the, the wide receiver darius white who's going to be making an announcement here uh, this week and i think other than that they're probably going to be done so you know, most of these schools, are, they're kind of getting close to, to wrapping up their classes, USC. Like I said, with 14, I mean, they've still got a ways to go. And, and with the guys that they have in their sights, they could, uh, you know, conceivably go up there in, in the top five, top three. I think top three is, is possible. The number one class, you know, you never know because it's probably going to be a class that's not going to be 25-plus like you see with a lot of those classes anymore that are top two, top one uh, classes. And um, USC, I mean, they've got that 4.0 star average, which is usually where they're at, like, Again, you know, it's par, par for the course for USC. As far as quality goes in the class, um, their average star ranking is, is the highest of, of any of the schools uh, in the top 25 right now. Yeah, and that seems to be the case as always. The, the, interesting, we've talked, the interesting thing to me, we talked about this before, I mean, USC has a chance to sign multiple players in the top five. Right now they have two commitments um, in the top five, number two and number three, but, you know, they still have a chance at, you know, Central Henderson at number one, Ronald Powell and uh, – Jackson Jeffcoat, four and five. I mean, so there's a, a chance that they get some a, a high number of guys at the very top of the list, which I don't think anyone's done, uh, you know, from from the rivals list that I've seen. It's tough. I mean, you never want to build those expectations because you just don't know how those 
those recruiting battles are going to finish there at the end of the year. But there's going to be some guys that are going to be announcing at signing day, and they're going to wait to the very end. And USC is always able to get some of those guys. They're going to grab a steal. They're going to get somebody that maybe a lot of people don't think they're going to get from out of state. And then they'll be able to, you know, lock in some of those guys that uh, they've been on for a long time that are leaning towards USC. Uh, the question is, is, are there going to be any of those disappointments like there were last year? You know, last year, really, at the end of the year, in the January, you had guys like Vontis Burfitt and obviously Manti Teo on signing day were guys that were expected to go to USC that ended up slipping away. So that's the real question. You know, I mean, can USC continue to finish strong without having the guys uh, decommit or guys that they expect to get committed jump ship and that's something that happened recently you know over maybe the past two years where you had some commits decide at the end of the day that they want to go elsewhere um can they stop that from happening that's really going to be the difference between them being i think top three and top five um or even number one is, is not having any of those guys like alshon jeffrey randall carroll uh manti Teo, those guys slip away into the home stretch here in recruiting towards february right yeah we talk about getting a chance to get three four you know guys in the top five or six but there's a chance you could lose them too i mean there's no no one we don't know until signing day so there's anything can happen um wanted to ask about uh perilous i want to know about outside linebacker christian jones um is he actually going to take an official visit to usc in january at this point is that scheduled or, or what have you heard there we have not gotten confirmation on him being scheduled yet uh, he has been expected to officially visit. He was actually uh, talked about to uh, he was talking about officially visiting um, back in I think it was December second when UCLA uh, played USC, and then the following week there was talk he was going to officially visit uh, for the Arizona uh, the Arizona game, and he didn't do either of those. He had basketball and some other things that conflicted with the schedule, uh, but you know he's still expected to at least to to visit in January, but we have not actually pinned him down on the date yet. Uh, if he comes in. And January 15th looks like a pretty big weekend for USC. You could think that that might be the weekend they try to bring him in. Um, but there's still going to be a couple weeks after that that they can bring guys in too. And so, you know, we'll kind of see how it goes. But he's still expected to officially visit. But, yeah, we have not gotten the actual confirmation that he has an actual date set up yet. Okay, and then last thing from Perry about the number one player in the country, uh, offensive tackle, Sontrell Henderson, who has seen USC play three times this year. He made his official visit. Uh, out to USC, there were some rumors going around that he might come back to LA and do an unofficial visit. Have you heard anything about that? Or anything lately on uh, Henderson's uh, Henderson's recruitment? Excuse me. I know that his dad was supposed to be back in LA uh, for I think a business trip, and I don't know if Chantrell was going to come with him or not. Uh, there was some talk of that. He has unofficially visited USC already, so it's not you know a, a place that he's he's foreign to as far as spending his own dime making a trip out to Los Angeles. Um, he likes LA, and like I said, it seems like uh, you know he's he's somewhat familiar, at least his family is, with the West Coast and and for business purposes. So yeah, it's it's conceivable he could come out for an unofficial visit, uh, but we don't have. Any confirmation i can i say that you know it's expected that he's going to come out not necessarily um again i mean chantrell's being pretty low-key with the recruiting process being the number one guy in the nation um he's getting you know phone calls from everybody at this point it seems like he's starting to narrow down his list a bit uh he officially visited florida uh just a couple weeks ago and it seems like a lot of with this urban meyer stuff going on and him you know whether he's going to be resigned or taking a leave or whatever he's doing uh i don't think they had a real good shot at him him to begin with, and it seems like now they've kind of taken, kind of removed themselves a little bit out of the process with Chantrell. Uh, Notre Dame, kind of the same thing. They're obviously going to still push for.
for him. I mean, they're going to have their new coaching staff, and once the dead period's over here, January 3rd, they're going to come after him hard again and try to get back in with him. Uh, but you can tell that those established relationships with schools, um, you know, like, well, really it's going to be Ohio State and USC that have been there from the beginning. Uh, that seems to be really working hard on him right now, and, and I think he feels comfortable with those two schools specifically. Um, he's going to look around a little bit, but I think that uh, those are the schools that are really standing out for him right now. And, and so, yeah, if he comes back on an unofficial visit, it's definitely good for USC. But going to be a signing day guy, long ways to go, a lot can happen, and just kind of wait and see a little bit. All right, we do have uh, some Urban Meyer questions. We're going to save that to the end. Uh, Allie had a question about the linebackers, just kind of how you see the class. I mean, obviously, it's a position of need for USC uh, in the class of 2010. Do you think how many linebacker commits do you think USC is going to take? And we know there's some guys that could play multiple positions, but you know, it still seems there's a lot up in the air. What's your overall thoughts on the linebacker recruiting? I think right now they're really going to try to shoot for three, they don't have any linebacker commits. There's a little bit of that um, square peg in a round hole, maybe with a couple guys that are more defensive ends that they're trying to recruit as linebackers. Uh, Josh Shirley from Fontana Kaiser High School, 6'2", 220. Uh, really a guy that's built his reputation on being a pass rusher, has played more linebacker this year. He feels like in terms of his physical you know, abilities and where he's growing, Linebacker is going to be a better position for him in college, but I don't necessarily know if that's true of you know him extinctually. I mean, that's the big thing. It's you know you can be a guy that's a size of a linebacker, but being able to play in space and doing those things awareness-wise and just having a nose for the ball—that's a whole other question. And at this point, we're still kind of wondering about that with him. But he likes USC a lot. He's a fantastic athlete. Um, you know, USC I think just feels like, hey, we can get him in. He's got the athletic ability. We can teach him the position, and he'll become better uh, with the awareness and the instincts and the other things that you need to play linebacker. Um, obviously, while Powell is still on the plate, what's going to happen with him in Florida still remains to be seen. It's, it's definitely thrown him for a loop a little bit, and I think he's a little suspicious of uh, the, the news with Urban Meyer resigning and then not resigning. And, you know, he's hearing a lot of different things. It seems like he's really enamored with Florida, and he's – he really wants to believe that things are going to stay the way they've you know, been the last few years in Florida and that Urban Meyer will still be a, a significant part of the program. But uh, there's second thoughts there, definitely, from the people that I talk to. And, you know, nobody really wants to go on record when they talk about Ronald, but it definitely seems like he's, um, he's having second thoughts at this point. USC's recruiting him to be a Sam linebacker. Again, he's a guy that's really kind of built his reputation on playing defensive end. Athletically, though, I have less questions about him being able to step back and play linebacker. I mean, he does have the agility, the lateral quickness, um, just the, the, a lot of the things that I think naturally that you can't teach. He has those things. He just doesn't understand the position that much. He's been playing a little bit of Mike linebacker uh, for the most part for his senior season. Didn't look great there, but Mike linebacker is really a difficult position to play when you've had your hand down, you know, most of your high school career. So I think, you know, once he plays a little bit of outside linebacker, it would be easier for him, especially that four spot when you're playing um, a Sam and you're up at the line of scrimmage and you're getting your hands on people. It's, it's just a different deal, and I think that that would be a good position for him. So, you know, he's still on him as well. You know, they're on Hayes Pullard. A lot of people feel like Hayes Pollard's going to go to UCLA. He has scheduled his official visit to USC for January 15th. Again, that's going to be a big weekend for SC. We'll see how that goes. I think UCLA fans may be a little overconfident with him. I, I don't think that, you know, I don't want to say that they don't lead for him, but 
to say that he, you know, USC doesn't have a shot at him at this point is a little presumptuous. I think he's given USC a look. We'll see how it goes. Um, but he's another guy. Uh, I think George Zumholt is going to be one of those guys that if USC can get him, that's going to be a steal for him. I mean, that's a really good player. And, again, a guy who could maybe play Mike, maybe more of a Sam. He's got that good height, that 6'3 and a half, 6'4, 230. Um, not the most athletic guy in the world, you know, not Ronald Powell-type athleticism, but you're talking about a guy who's just got a natural nose for the ball. He's tough. He's aggressive. He's nasty. He's got a lot of those intangibles that, that you like in a football player that, you know, we didn't see a whole lot from the linebackers at USC this year. And that's a guy that's smart. Try to bring him in the program. And right now it's a little bit of wait and see because he's committed to Stanford and he's kind of seeing if he's going to actually make it into Stanford uh, through administrations just with, you know, his, uh, his uh, academics and whatnot. Because he's, he's a 3.5, 3.6 guy. But, you know, for Stanford, sometimes that's not good enough. So he's waiting to see if he gets admitted into Stanford. If he doesn't, USC's definitely in the driver's seat. If he does, it's going to be tough. It's, it seems like he probably would still stick with Stanford. We'll kind of, kind of wait and see how that goes. Um, and then, obviously, you know, you have Christian Jones, who's um, definitely got that prototypical USC linebacker look. I mean, he's at 6'4", at 225, 230, looks a little more like a defensive end, but, man, he can definitely play the linebacker position. Um, you know, would he be a Sam? Would he be a Mike? Would he be a Will? I think he's actually got the speed to play Will. The guy that might end up being the Will linebacker in this class is a guy that doesn't have an offer yet, but USC's looking at a kid named Joe Hemshoot. And uh, Joe Hemshoot is actually from Colorado, way under the radar for most of the year. And just, you know, after his senior season, uh, John Bacon, who played for Oregon, I don't know if you guys remember John Bacon, but he played uh, linebacker for Oregon a few years back. Uh, he's, you know, out there back in Colorado and just saw the kid play and said, man, I've I got to take this kid under my wing. So he kind of put up a highlight tape of him, sent it out to a lot of the coaches in the Pac-10, and they just fell in love with him. A lot of coaches really like his film. Now, he's a smaller guy. He's more of that six-foot, you know, 200, 210-pound kid. But he's supposed to be fast. He's really cerebral. He's got good-looking film, and a lot of coaches really like him. And now he's got uh, scholarship offers from Oregon, Oregon State. Stanford just offered him the other day. Um, it seems like, you know, he's kind of a guy that's a fast-rising recruit. USC's going to go check him out, see him in person, get a feel for him. But he's a guy that fits more of that real, um, you know, prototypical look and feel. The Kaluka Maidea, um, you know, the uh, – the, the smaller, quicker, clean-up, freelance-type linebacker that's not necessarily a guy that has to be the big, tall guy to hook up with the tight ends and whatnot. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. He didn't have an offer yet, but, again, he could be a guy that gets an offer down the road. So that's kind of how it all plays out right now. There could be more offers, you know, later, some plan Bs that go out there. It's definitely a difficult year because USC, I mean, just in terms of the offers that they put out there, there's not a lot out there just because it's not a deep class for linebackers. So, um, you know, you're putting your eggs in some baskets here <laughs> and, uh, there's very few baskets out there to put them in. All right. Uh, thanks for that question, Allie. Um, yeah, definitely. There's, it'll be, this is going to be one to follow all the way to signing day. So keep checking uscfootball.com, especially the war room stuff we put up on Fridays. Gerard always drops some great tidbits of, linebacker information in there uh we had a question uh international question from honduras robert he had a question for each one of our segments actually for you gerard and it's kind of all the same theme uh he wanted to know if you could change one thing about usc recruiting what would it be well oh if i could change one thing wow that's difficult that's a difficult question because it takes uh, me, you know, talking as if uh, I, I knew what I was talking about. And <laughs> I you know. I second-guess <laughs> coaches and, 
and everybody that, you know, I mean, the guys work hard and, and they definitely have plans and, and see these kids, you know, more than anybody. I mean, they've watched so much film. I, you know, the approach, uh, we actually, you know, it's funny, we, we just wrote a piece on this kind of analyzing USC's approach to recruiting and contrasting it with kind of the polar opposite, which is Texas's approach to recruiting. I mean, Texas does things very differently. I mean, they really focus on in-state recruiting. Um, they offer guys earlier. Um, the evaluations that they do, they put out earlier. Um, USC is definitely more scattered in that they'll go anywhere, and if they like a kid, regardless of whether they have a shot at them or not, they'll offer the kid. And so we actually wrote a long piece. It's going to be a two-part piece. Try to check it out if you can. It's got the numbers about you know NFL draft picks and just, again, kind of contrasting the two different styles of recruiting between the two different schools. Um, I, I do think, you know, having written the piece, I do – I was a little surprised at certain numbers with NFL draft picks and, and what California has done. I think the assumption going in was definitely that, you know, there's going to be some positions that USC almost has to go out of state to recruit. It's just they would be forced to. Defensive tackle is a position that just comes to mind because every year it seems like every top rivals 100 defensive tackle is from Texas, is from Louisiana, he's from Alabama, he's from the South. He's not from the West Coast. But interestingly, when you look at the numbers from an NFL standpoint, the guys are actually being drafted. California's done pretty darn good over the last five, six years um, for producing draft-eligible level uh, defensive tackles. You're talking about 11 defensive tackles in the past six years that have been drafted by NFL teams as opposed to Texas and Florida, which both had 10. Now, if you told me that, I wouldn't believe that statistic if I didn't see it myself. Because um, Florida, you just imagine, oh, man, they got defensive tackles growing on trees out there. Same thing with Texas. But California has actually produced more defensive tackles than both those states over the last five, six years. So, you know, that's a, that's a – and then another gaudy stat that went out was just, you know, I think USC had offered 46 defensive linemen over the past five, six years. And only 11 of those guys that had offers were from California. So that's kind of – that really tells a different tale than what the NFL's doing. So I think if there's one thing that would change, I think I would be maybe a little more patient with the scholarship offers and looking at kids in California. And I think really the big difference with California kids and what you're looking at with the southeast and Texas, specifically Texas, is that kids out here may not be as developed at that high school age. In Texas, those kids are playing football and they're playing football five, six years before they even get into high school. So what you see in Texas is what you get with kids. That kid right there in high school, you know what you're getting with him. Uh, the upside, there's really not as much to be had with a kid coming out from Texas. And maybe with the Southeast as well, it's like that. You get these kids that are physically they're at their peak. They are where they're going to be, you know, two, three years into college. I'm not saying they're not going to get somewhat better because obviously the coaching in college is better. But physically, what you see is what you get. Whereas in California, maybe you've got some guys that are defensive tackles that are 6'3", and they're only 240, 250 pounds. And you overlook those guys. You go, well, that guy's a slow defensive end. Well, maybe not. Maybe you just need to put some more weight on him, bulk him up. He's going to be as fast as he is now, but he's going to be stronger, he's going to be nastier, and he's going to be able to play defensive tackle. So I think maybe from a position standpoint, the one thing that I got just writing that article and doing the research, 
you know, California as a state really doesn't have weak positions. Um, not the way I thought kind of going into writing the article. And I think maybe USC could spend more time just kind of settling down and trying to look for those kids in California that maybe they're not, you know, five-star guys according to rivals. But you know what? Rivals has bias just like everybody else has bias. They go out, they watch film, but you know what? They see a lot more kids in the southeast than they ever see out here in California. I know that for a fact because I'm out there, you know, pleading and trying to get guys that are you – know, guys that are going to UCLA. I remember back – Five, six years ago when Brian Price was coming out of high school and it was myself, Rick Kimball, and even Greg Biggins when he was working for Rivals.com, we all, to a man, consensus, Brian Price is the best defensive tackle in California. He's one of the best defensive tackles nationally. He was a great player. For whatever reason, Rivals.com decided, hey, you know what, we like Dejon Harris more. Now, I mean, we're out here. I'm, I'm pretty sure that we see more of those two guys yeah. than anybody <laughs> else from Rivals.com, but... They just decided they got something in their head that Dejon Harrison was going to be a better player. And I thought Dejon Harris had a lot of upside, but, you know, sometimes you just got to see what is there to be seen. It's, it's, this kid is playing well. He's got the results. He's productive in high school. He's 6'2", 280. He's a good player, you know, and you can't put so much into potential. So, you know what? I mean, those numbers with five-star guys, four-star guys are all great, but sometimes you got to look further and just go, hey, what, what's, what's really happening on the back end of this thing? Who's getting drafted and who's not? And like I said, California's done a pretty good job as far as uh, producing every position, you know, that I went through and I looked at. Defensive back, they were on par or ahead of the curve with these other states. So maybe that was that's maybe one thing that I would do a little differently. Ah, very interesting. All right, Robert, thanks for that one. And we'll, uh, we'll ask Dan your last one about that, the one thing you can change about the program. Uh, last one, last topic we want to talk about, a uh, question from Kevin, question from Chuck. Uh, both are the same thing, both talking about Urban Meyer and his leave of absence. You already touched on what you think about Ronald Powell and Henderson um, as far as Urban Meyer goes. Maybe just a quick thing on Jackson Jeffcoat, if Urban Meyer's uh, leave of absence will affect that. But uh, Chuck wanted to know more specifically, and there's been some rumors going around, uh, that they think there could be a recruiting tactic that maybe – uh, Urban Meyer's health is a problem, and he does want to resign, but realizing that it might hurt the recruiting class, he would stick around to at least, this is what some people are speculating, he would stick around the program at least until after signing day as mainly to try to keep this recruiting class together. Um, it, maybe get your thoughts on that. So first, probably with uh, Jackson Jeffcoat's recruitment, and then maybe on anything on the Urban Meyer stuff and those rumors. Jackson has always had... Florida on the peripheral a little bit. It's never really been talked about that, you know, he had high interest in Florida. Um, not to say that, you know, Florida has no shot at him, but at this point, he's, that official visit that he has scheduled to Florida is kind of a little bit, um, he may waver from that. Uh, he's got Oklahoma that he was trying to get to first. He's got basketball. If he never officially visited Florida, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, so Florida has never kind of really seemed to be a big player for him. And now with something like this happening, you know, regardless of whether, you know, Obermeyer is going to resign or not resign, I think that, you know, with guys that were kind of on the fence about Florida to begin with, um, just like if they were on the fence with any school, it's, it's probably going to push them away. You know, they're just going to go, that's too complicated. That situation's got to figure itself out. I'm comfortable with these other schools. Let me just go ahead and focus on these other schools. That tends to be what happened. Um, now, with Urban Meyer's situation and the other recruits, 
you know, I understand where people are cynical because it's hard not to be cynical. A lot of these uh, coaches nowadays with, you know, stuff like Bobby Petrino and, and these kind of situations where, you know, they say one thing and they do another, you know, the public's going to be cynical. And, of course, the media is very cynical. Is it a recruiting tactic? You know, he was resigning one day and then the next day, well, I'm kind of, you know, maybe not going to resign. He hasn't promised either way, you know. So there's a lot of uncertainty. And I think with recruits, the one thing that I've learned over the years is that uncertainty is not a good thing for them. Um, they want to have a plan. They want to know what's going on. And while I'm sure the assistant coaches that are still on the Florida staff are trying to reassure all these kids, hey, Urban's coming back for sure. You know, it was just a, you know, he just wasn't sure. He's just going to take a little time off, but he's going to be back. We're going to keep it rolling. I mean, what else are they going to say? They, they really have to keep that image going. And it seems like, you know, somebody actually got to Urban and said, hey, you know, let's not let this thing fall apart here. This was probably not good timing. How about, you know, you, you, you give it another look, give it a second, give it a second thought, and, and, you know, kind of stay with it a little bit and give that at least an impression that, you know, you're going to be back. And maybe he feels like he could be back. Um, but it's definitely still uncertainty. And, you know, the kids that have other options are probably going to go elsewhere. I, I think that's kind of the feel right now, um, you know, how it pertains specifically with Ronald Powell. We'll see. You know, we'll see. It's, it's, it's going to be interesting. Joshua Shaw, you know, was committed to Florida already. He sounds like he's going to stay committed to Florida. Um, but he's in a little different situation because he's an early enrollee, and he really only had a week to figure this whole thing out. Um, they have another kid that's uh, committed to Florida, five-star safety, Matt Elam, who at this point sounds like he may not enroll early just so he could take the extra six weeks to think about it, which I kind of think is smart. I mean, you're, you're – you're looking at what? Enrolling early so you can play spring ball versus, you know, four years and maybe going to a place where you don't know where the head coach is going to be. To me, I think that that makes sense. Um, you know, Josh decided I want to get in there early and I'm going to give, you know, I'm going to think about it this week. It obviously feels that, you know, whether Urban Meyer is there or not, you know, he feels comfortable with the program. Uh, I think Ronald Powell is a little less certain about that. So that's kind of where he's, he is right now. But again, uncertainty, it's just, it's a tough thing. Whenever you have that in the program, uh, it makes kids hesitate a lot. All right. Well, Gerard, thanks very much. Great recruiting info uh, this week, as you always provide. And thanks for all the questions. Podcast at uscfootball.com. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you enjoyed those pretzels, and you know, I'm sure you'll be back on that treadmill working off the weight like I am. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I got rid of the pretzels, man. I, I was passing those <laughs> things out like Christmas. Like, hey, take as many as you can. You know, let's get them out of the house as, as soon as possible. Yeah, I still got more, so hopefully. I had one tonight, actually. Mm, good stuff. But uh, anyway, thanks again, Gerard, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. All right. Thank you for having me. All right. Everyone else back in 30 seconds talking with Dan Wakey. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to talk with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Wojcicki in this segment, talking about the team, his trip up to the Bay Area for the Emerald Bowl, all kinds of fun stuff. What's up, Dan? 
How you doing, Ryan? Good, good. Just got back and a uh, long trip, but I'm glad to be back home. I know you're you're back from your trip to the Bay Area. How'd it go up there? I hear you. I hear you. It's always good to get home. Um, I did not leave my heart in San Francisco, but I liked it. It was fun. Um, I think it was a really good bowl experience. I mean, obviously, USC fans are more accustomed to their bowl games meaning more than that. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of a venue and, and of the seat being for a bowl game, I think it was great. Um, it was a lot of fun. You know, the weather was actually pretty nice for the most part. Um, not so much on game day, but in the buildup um, during the week, the weather was really nice. Um, I get the feeling that the USC players were excited to be doing something different than the normal, you know, trip to Disneyland and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good experience, I think. And I got to play a, a physical team and got to kind of match up with, with them and, and really end the season on a high note. So I think in a, a lot of regards, it was a very positive trip. Yeah, what not the most exciting uh, bowl game to watch. And no. I, we, I think some of the fans expressed their displeasure in that uh, on the message boards. But, you know, I think in, in the end of the day, they got it done. I think the offense did look a little better there. I think you made one of your uh, live press box comments about the, the bubble screens that Jeremy Bates seems to love, and they always seem to lose five or six yards, and that seemed to kind of happen again. But I, I thought they threw some patterns that we haven't seen a lot of. They threw some slants and stuff for, you know, the, the 8 to 12-yard range that seemed to pick up first downs. I don't think we saw a ton of that, and they kind of threw some more of those, and I thought that was a way to open up the offense a little bit better. Uh, I don't know, maybe get your thoughts on that. It wasn't exciting, but I think they did some some different things on offense. Yeah, they certainly did some really good things on offense. I mean, obviously you don't pass for 350 yards if if you're not doing things well. Obviously a big chunk of those yards came on a couple of different plays. But, you know, I think obviously the, the encouraging signs were the use of Stanley Havili in the game, which was something that kind of kind of got away from this year for whatever reason. Uh, and then you got to see what this offense would look like when Ronald Johnson and Damian Williams were playing on a high level together at the same time, which didn't happen all that often this year. Maybe Oregon State really was the only time when both of those guys were hitting. And um, that it looked like the timing was there with both of those guys. And obviously between the two of them, they caught 18 passes, um, you know, 12 to Damian, six to Rojo. And Rojo was really just, you know, almost a hand's length away from in another big a big play and maybe even a touchdown so so yeah i think the passing game was certainly improved and you know it was always going to be tough to run the ball against boston college they're a very good team um run defense wise and uh, i thought alan bradford did a good job not a great job but a good job you know 17 carries 72 yards nothing no it wasn't maybe the 150 that people thought he would maybe get because you know he actually got um the load of the, the carries but he did his job. You know, he, he got some tough yards when they needed him to. Um, he made a couple of big plays. And, you know, obviously they, they leave San Francisco with a win. So offensively, definitely improvement. Yeah, he, he made some tough yards. And I, I don't think that the holes were always there for him. I mean, if they could have opened up one or two, I think he really had a chance to break some big runs. He didn't really get a chance to do that. But there was some runs where you felt like other backs probably would have been tackled you know, maybe it's a two-yard loss that he turns into a four-yard gain. Not super impressive in the stats, but when you look at it, it just didn't seem to be the same kind of opportunities. And maybe having a Joe McKnight there, you know, would have made a difference because you kind of opened things up a little bit and let him, once he had to carry the full load, I'm sure he's capable of doing it. But 
I just don't think there was you know gaping holes for him to to bust through and and break a big one that could kind of loosen up the defense a little bit. No, I think you're right, and I and I think we got a good look at at something that he needs to get better at, and that's I I still feel like he needs to be a better third and short kind of runner that he seems and in those third and three situations he gets stopped a lot for one yard or no gain. And I think that's vision, and I think that just comes with more carries and, and more time on the football field. I mean, really, to quote Pete Carroll, he's really only one year old as a USC running back in terms of being on the field a lot. So, you know, I, I think it was a good a good year for him, obviously, and uh, kind of one of the – I'm going to write about this for something that um, people will be able to read on uh, uscfootball.com. It, it was one of the, kind of the silver linings almost uh, of the injuries to Mark Tyler and Stephon Johnson – and kind of was the emergence of Alan Bradford in, in a bigger role, and and people really got to see what what he was capable of. I mean, he made some huge plays over the course of the year, and, and really I think helped his stock moving forwards. I agree with you there, and then maybe uh, quick on the defense played I think pretty well uh, overall. Three there good w- quarters. Yeah, there were really good quarters. That one stretch, and I wanted to, I didn't count, but it seemed like there was five or six plays in a row by Boston College over a couple of drives that went for first downs. It was like, you know, run for first down, run for first down, pass for first down, run for a touchdown, which is counting at a first down. And then the next drive, same thing. They started one or two plays the same way. It seemed like definitely some adjustments were made, but I think Boston College made some adjustments, found some holes. They were kind of running right at the teeth of the USC defense for a little while, and then uh, USC made some adjustments and kind of, you know, put them back down. Well, I mean, when Montel Harris got going in the second quarter, I mean, this is an all-ACC running back. I mean, this is a really good running back. And I think people got to see that. I mean, he made some really big plays and really kick-started their offense, opened up things in the passing game. And, yeah, that was, I mean, that was huge. To me, the troubling play, a play that I hadn't seen, you know, in two years of covering USC was the slant to uh, from Shinsky to Ganell that went for 61 yards and touchdown where he outran everybody and went untouched, you know, and that's a play that we hadn't seen in a couple of years of following USC football where usually there's somebody that that's their biggest thing, you know, stop the big play. Well, you know, I mean, if you're going to give up the dink and dunk stuff, you have to stop the big play. And in that situation, you know, Shinsky, I thought made a really good throw, caught a couple of people maybe moving the wrong way. And, you know, he, the guy was off and scored a touchdown. And really at that point in time, you know, I had Boston College right in that football game. Then the defense really locked down, though. I think after Montel Harris got injured and got and got dinged up, yeah, he came back in the game and did some nice stuff, but he really wasn't the same runner. After that, I, I think the game changed, and USC was able to really key in on the pass rush and do some good things, and then obviously <clears throat> made, a, made a really big play. Sharice Wright, um, that interception, really was the play, that, play. Kinda, that kind of put things away. Yeah, huge play for USC, and it was great to see him come back mm-hmm. there. I mean, you felt bad for him just missing so much time over the last two years. Come back and make a play like that. You have to feel happy. 23 for the games. That's a lot. 23 games. <laughs> That's longer than, than Mark Sanchez's career. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Six, it's crazy. Sanchez had 16 starts, you know, and uh, he missed more than that. Um, crazy. But what was the uh, locker room like? I know a lot of people had questions going in. Is USC going to be focused? And it seemed like they were. You know, they had some distractions. The Joe McKnight stuff came down to the last minute. The guys being academically ineligible, 
not playing in a BCS bowl, but it seemed like the, the team handled all that stuff pretty well. And what was the, the mood like there afterwards? I mean, they, they were excited to get the win, obviously. Um, and, and I think they were, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into this. I think there was a relief to, to kind of put 2009 behind them and move forward um, and, and end on a good note and really kind of, you know, a lot of people said this really wasn't the end. This was the start of something. And I think that's been the approach. And that was the approach in the locker room, even with guys like Taylor Mays, who aren't going to be here, you know, next year. Um, and, you know, Taylor said as much that he thinks that this is a really good launching pad for them. Um, you know, that was a launching pad or jump off point. Those, those were kind of the buzzwords in the locker room after the game in terms of looking forwards. And, and I think that was kind of the overall mood. And like I said, there was that. And then obviously there were, you know, there was some, some emotion for some of the seniors. And uh, and I think guys that were kind of, you know, a lot of guys, are I think, are just exhausted, too, to be totally honest. Guys that, I mean, there were a bunch of guys on this team this year who played a lot of football who hadn't played very much at this level. And I think that was a huge factor. And I think that after getting a year of experience like that under their belts, that, that they'll come back stronger and, and more equipped to handle what a full year's worth of collegiate football is like. All righty. Well, that's cool, Dan. Thanks for the wrap-up. We got some questions if you want to answer some of those. Podcast at com is our email address if you have questions. You ready for some questions, Dan? Yeah, let's fire away. Sweet. Well, I, you know, actually, before we get into that, I just want to mention uh, we're going to start hitting this hard after the new year. Our uh, first annual charity golf tournament is coming up uh, February 5th. It's a Friday. We'll have it's going to benefit a better LA. It's our first attempt at doing anything this major, and we are happy to uh, get a better LA to sign up with us. And we're going to have it at the Black Gold Golf Club in Yorba Linda. So if you're a golfer, it'd be great for you to come out and uh, have a fun day. We got some talking to some former players like David Beeler and stuff. They want to come out and play. So as long as he's not in the Super Bowl, I think we're going to be good with that. And I talked to some other guys that were on the teams before. So I'll wait till. They sign up to make sure we, we start announcing that. We got some people, you know, donating prizes. So if you want any information on that, peristylegolf.com, or you can email me, Ryan, at uscfootball.com and ask many questions. But we definitely need golfers. We want people to come out if you want to golf. Uh, sponsors, if you uh, Even if like... you're not a golfer, too. Even if you're not a golfer afterwards, um, breaking out film with Gerard and, yeah, we're... and talking about the team and stuff like that, that'll be a great time, too. Yeah, we'll have the dinner afterwards because it's two days after signing day, so we'll break down film on all the recruits that USC signed. And uh, we definitely could use people to, if you have a small business, you want to sponsor a big business, whatever, you want to sponsor a whole, uh, you can sponsor the photos for the event, or if you want to donate some prizes, we definitely need prizes for... The golfers, so we got a lot of people. We've got people that are going to donate lunch and um, drinks and stuff like that. So it's it's. I think it's going to be a real fun day, and uh, it'll be fun to get out there and hit the links with some of your fellow listeners on the podcast, the fellow users on uscfootball.com, you know, former players, lots of USC fans. So should be a good day. Dan will definitely be out there showing everyone his wonderful golf stroke. So it should be a lot of fun. And my creative scorekeeping. Yeah. <laughs> For charity, yeah, you can buy. But see, here's Dan. You don't have to be creative because you can buy extra mulligans. So, those all those mulligans that you take that we never talk about, you can actually buy them, and it'll be you'll be totally legit. I'll put me on a. I'll, I'll operate on credit or something. <laughs> Open a tab for the uh, the mulligans there. So it should <laughs> should be a lot of fun. Parastylegolf.com. Uh, check it out. It's two days after signing day, and uh, it should be a lot of fun. 
So definitely um, let us know if you want to go to just the dinner or the golf. You can email me too if you have any questions for that. And we'll start hitting that hard after the first of the year. But definitely check it out. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, okay, Dan, let's get to some questions here. We'll we'll let uh, we're gonna have to do a full review. And I want someone to follow you at all times and talk about your uh, your golf game. We need a report on that. I think everyone on the podcast wants to know. <laughs> we we played there once, and man, we lost some balls. There's <laughs> it's uh it's a fun course, and it's not it's not super long. It's not like you can't reach things, but. If you're not in the fairway, your ball's gone a lot of the times, and uh, it's it's kind of a challenge. We 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 lost a couple of balls that I thought we hit into the fairway. <laughs> yeah, that was the problem. Like I crushed this drive down. I don't remember which hole it was, and it seemed like it was going to roll forever down this hill, and it was gone. We're like, it can't be gone. It was right down the middle. Where is it? So yeah, a little frustrating, but you know we're we're still. We're not the we're not scratch golfers or anything, but we're out there hacking around having yeah, fun. Yeah, don't let that deter you. It's still a fun time. So. It is. It's a lot of fun, man. It's a it's a great course too. All right, um, Allie had a recruiting question, and we answered that with Gerard. And he also had a question on some of the current freshmen that redshirted: uh, Marcus Simmons, Kevin Green, and James Boyd. All of them redshirted. What do you think their impact is going to be next year? And specifically with Boyd. He originally was a defensive end, moved to tight end. What position do you think he's going to play? Um, I think he's going to get his first crack at tight end. I, I, I really do. He did bulk up a lot in his time, um, not playing. Obviously, he was injured all year, so it wasn't like he could practice, which was um, which was tough. So he'll kind of come in next year almost as a freshman in that regard where he he didn't get the reps and, and the valuable time to mature as a football player this year. But he did get a little more physically imposing which is good um he's obviously he came in very slender but i think he'll get his first look at tight end just because of numbers um at that position um obviously with blake ailes um being up in the air because of his health and and then also you add in the fact that red ellison you know kind of was up and down over the course of the season so that's where he'll get his look um who are the other guys um simmons and grass yes no simmons and green green okay simmons and green um simmons i think has um, weak side linebacker written all over him, and I think special teams kind of stud. Um, he plays with a ton of energy. Um, he is absolutely jacked. I mean, he, he's single-handedly bringing back the um, football half shirt at practice, <laughs> where the Doug Flutie days. <laughs> yeah, with the jersey, with the jersey, it's like a midriff. Yeah. Um, I mean, and. When you see that dude, who can blame him? I mean, he's giant <laughs> in terms of like. I mean, he's not like. If, I think if you saw him just with like you know normal clothes on or whatever, you would be like, oh, okay, he's like a pretty strong looking kid. But when you see him on a football field, that dude fills out his pads. He is a strong looking kid. So I think that'll be kind of one of his roles. And then um, I think uh, Kevin Green has a has a real chance to make an impact at, at defensive end as a pass rush specialist. Um, and then also maybe to do some stuff sort of like at Leo, maybe a little linebacker, go um, and add more physicality to that unit too. Um, so I, I think those guys really progressed. And then, you know, on offense, um, you should mention that I think Kevin Graff had a really good year um, in terms of uh, progression and and um, got valuable, valuable experience. I think you look at a guy like Matt Khalil, the sort of, um, you know, maybe a template for how to handle somebody like that who – a recruit that comes in very highly regard, regarded, comes in and has to redshirt, you know, Khalil got a lot better. And I think we saw that in the Emerald Bowl. I thought he played very well. In yeah, that. he had a great game. And, and then I think, you know, that's that's two years, really, of just 
just practice for that for that moment. And you know, I think he obviously is in the driver's seat right now to to win the starting spot next year. And, and Kevin Graff, I think, will maybe not next year, but the season after that, will be in a similar position where he will have so much experience and get so many reps working with you know whether it's with the service team, which you know Matt Khalil really dominated on the service team and did a lot of stuff with them coming up or, you know, as, as it is whenever those guys get their crack with the first team. So I think those will be kind of the guys to watch. I, I'm, I'm very high on, on uh, Marcus Simmons. I have very high hopes for him, especially on special teams. I'm sensing a man crush here. Well, I feel intimidated. <laughs> I feel like I have, like the half shirt is awesome. He, he's like, he's like, Let's call him Marcus Marcus Flutie, we'll call him, or something like that. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. (laughs) It's it's very funny. Very very 1984, Mr. Simmons. Nice job. All right. Um, Cool. Well, thanks, Allie, for that question. And uh, last one, this is from Robert. We had a question for all of our guests today. He's an Etsy grad from Honduras. He listens to every podcast. Um, He wanted to know, Dan, if you could change one thing about the USC program, what would it be? Uh, I think it's a great question, uh, um, and it's a really interesting question. And being put on the spot, I, I would think that the thing that I would want to see happen most is, and this is not a dig at Pete Carroll by any stretch of the imagination. Which means it totally is. Well, no. <laughs> I would say, though, I would change. I think that he needs somebody on his staff who can kind of check him and, and somebody who, you know, who he respects. Now, I'm not saying that this doesn't happen on the current staff because we don't know, but somebody who has the perception of experience and um, respect that he can come in, <clears throat> come in and kind of, kind of, if Carol is, is doing something or has an idea, somebody can say, well, Pete, that might work, but I think this will work better. Um, and and kind of, I think that would probably be one thing I would change. Um, Maybe that's a guy like Ed Orchard, um, you know, or somebody like that. I, I think that would be a huge help to um, to the staff, just in terms of, you know, because it's competition, right? Well, let's let's look at it like this: it's competition. Um, Pete Carroll dies with competition, and it brings out the best in him. Well, if he's not getting competition in the in the coaches' meetings from guys that kind of he's brought up and guys that look up to him and, and kind of owe their jobs to him over the course of, you know, whatever, um, of their coaching careers, you know, maybe he's not getting that competition in the coaches' meetings with guys challenging his thoughts and stuff like that. And then, you know, maybe that's not bringing out the best in Pete. So I think I think that would be a good one. How was that? Was that a dig at Pete? No, no, I think that was that was good. And, and uh, Robert didn't ask me, but I'll, I'll throw in my two cents too because got, we got to talk to everyone else about it. I, I would go along the same lines. and I, To me, the biggest thing would be uh, I would love to see, because Pete Carroll has such a great defensive mind, uh, I think what worked really well is when it didn't have to be Norm Chow, but when you gave the, the offense is handed over to somebody else who has a strong personality, who's been in the business for a long time like Chow has for 30 years or whatever it was, I think you get that strong personality, someone that could say no, and could just kind of take control of one aspect of the program uh, being the offense. And I think, you know, I, nothing against Jeremy Bates or John Morton or any of that, but there's there's no real ownership. It's still, you know, Pete Carroll has a philosophy of having the USC offense, and I think the big thing is he's afraid that if someone leaves and you got to do a new offensive 
you know, philosophy and stuff. But with the kind of athletes that he has, it's not hard to to get someone. Man, what if they get like a Mike Leach or something to be the offensive coordinator? How cool would that be? You know, something like that where you get a big name guy. I wanted Gus Malzahn to come. You know, stuff like that. Those are guys that I was kind of touting before. Some big name offensive guy who has a strong personality that could to do what you said and be able to stand up to Pete and and you know throw ideas off him and be able to say no sometimes and also have kind of their own views on offense and just kind of take take control and run with it. And I know people have knocked Norm Chow for going to UCLA and them not looking that good, but you're just not there's just not the same kind of athletes there that he had dealing with at USC. I mean, I I I really like the philosophies and the the schemes that they used when he was here and I think having someone come in like that where there's a real owner of the offense would be a would be a big deal, and I think it would drive this team to to get to more championships. You know, maybe Norm just needs Pete, just like Pete needs Norm. Maybe they need each other. They need each other. I don't think uh, they get along so well now, but <laughs> who knows? <laughs> no, no, they don't. I don't think no. so either. But, but there's plenty no, of guys. I mean, I would. I think that's a good. I think that's a good one. And then you know, the other thing that I think I, I would honestly change um, in terms of, of obviously, I, I would. I would limit the use of the bubble screen. Yeah. Which is a big one. <laughs> Just get rid of that. Oh one. my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I'm okay with it every once in a while, but it shouldn't be your most um, consistent offensive play. And then uh, the other thing too, I would like to see is I would have liked to have seen. Um, and again, I'll be this this week. I think the biggest coaching disappointment I saw this, this entire year was the handling of the Aaron Corp um, situation in the Washington game. And kind of almost in turn, and, and you almost saw the same thing with the handling of the Allen Bradford, with Allen Bradford leading into the Emerald Bowl, where they they wait and wait and wait for the, for the guys that were in that spot, um, in terms of just announcing a starter, you know. And, and I, what's the worst that happens if if you can tell Aaron Corp he's starting and he doesn't? He prepares all week like he is going to start. Yeah. I mean, is that, I mean, really? I mean, that's the worst that can happen. Or what's the worst that can happen to Alan Bradford? He's going to be the, the starter because we don't know about Joe. Joe might play some, but, I mean, he hasn't he hasn't been here, so you're going to be the starter. What's the worst that can happen? Yeah, you give, so a those kid, would be kind of, you give him his first start, and it probably makes him feel pretty good about himself. Those would be the only things that, I, that as far as grapes I have this season in terms of coaching, other than that. I mean, I think. They're, wow. They're, you are a Pete Carroll basher, Dan. Man, I'm. Jeez. <laughs> I think just, they did. The, I, in a lot of ways, I, I feel like, with the exception of um, what happened at Washington um, and, and really some of what happened in Arizona, I feel like they, they made the most of what they had. Yeah. No, and it, obviously, this was a question posed to us, and we're not trying to, to bash the program or anything. Obviously, his. his success has been unprecedented over the last eight years or whatever. It yeah. wasn't a great year, but. That is just, you know, if you want to change one thing, that was a good, I thought it was a good question. It was fun that everyone got to chime in on that. But Dan, all right, we got to go. We're out of time. Uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. All right, sounds good. All right, everyone else, this is the Peristyle Podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and we will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free 
Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 